Welcome to episode 283 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, share episodes with your friends, and support the podcast by shopping at truthquestshirtfactory.com, where we produce thought-provoking shirts inspired by various podcast episodes. Even before the Tucker Carlson interview of Vladimir Putin had aired, the alphabet soup conspiracy media went batshit crazy. All the usual suspects, from home wreckers Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough, to low IQ Joey Reid and Rachel, I've never seen a conspiracy theory leveled against Trump that I will not promote on a loop for years while lying to the few people who actually watch my show, Maddow, to all the no-name talking heads at CNN, all in unison, disparaged and denounced Tucker. The most prominent refrain was, he is not a journalist, despite the fact that he just scored the biggest interview of the year. The chorus continued with, he is a useful idiot. He's been fired from every job he's ever had. They even went so far as to suggest that he should be sanctioned. For what? They never really made clear. At one point, some brittle, unhinged, and unelected EU commissioner named Madame von der Leyen proclaimed that Tucker should be banned from entering the EU. These truly useful idiots, meaning they are useful to the Uniparty and globalists, they explained to their minuscule audiences, comprised of mind-numb liberals waiting to be told what to think, that Tucker is nothing more than a Russian and Trump stooge spreading Russian propaganda and misinformation. A CNN headline read, Tucker Carlson is in Russia to interview Putin. He's already doing the bidding of the Kremlin. They all but rekindled the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they spread on a loop for four years, lying to their audiences and destroying their credibility forever. The irony that is, of course, lost on this perpetually childish group is they spent the previous three years as the purveyors of the greatest example of crimes against humanity in world history. That, of course, was the pushing of the often deadly, sometimes toxic, experimental so-called COVID vaccine. So for these non-journalist propagandists to cast judgment and dispersions on Tucker Carlson, a man whose audience exceeds the combined viewership of MSNBC, CNN, NPR, or any other member of the alphabet soup conspiracy media exponentially, is particularly rich. The increasingly irrelevant alphabet conspiracy so-called mainstream media never see that irony. They badmouth Putin as a liar, a propagandist who can't be trusted. Meanwhile, these same assholes serve literally as the mouthpiece for the lying propagandists and certainly untrustworthy left-wing Marxists who currently hold power in America. They are nothing more than parrots and apologists for these anti-American forces. With that said, I want to briefly cover the major takeaways from the Tucker-Putin interview. Generally speaking, the Putin interview was like a lot of the so-called revelations that have been revealed recently. Conspiracy theories being debunked almost on a daily basis, from all things COVID, to the Biden crime family, to the residents' dementia. In other words, Putin confirmed a lot of what those of us who get real news already knew. And just in case you've never watched a Putin interview, the dude presents himself as intelligent, knowledgeable, and unflappable, unlike his counterpart in the U.S., the first non-revelation came in the form of Tucker's first question, which was, why did you invade Ukraine? Before we get to his answer to that question, 
I want to point out that he answered that in a speech he gave in February of 2022. I will put a link to that speech in the show notes. But as far as the Tucker interview goes, Putin launched into a 30-plus minute history lesson of the Soviet Union and Ukraine going back to 862 AD. Tucker pushed back a couple times, stating something like, I'm not sure how this is relevant to what happened two years ago, to which Putin paused momentarily and then continued with the history lesson. In the end, it seems Putin's point was, Ukraine is part of Russia, so everyone should just chill. Certainly this claim should apply to eastern Ukraine, where the majority of the population speaks Russian and considers himself Russian. Ron Paul summarized this part of the interview like this, quote, Many millions of viewers who may not have had access to the other side of the story were informed that the Russia-Ukraine military conflict did not begin in 2022 as the mainstream media continuously reports, but in fact began eight years earlier with the U.S.-backed coup in Ukraine. The U.S. media does not report this because they don't want Americans to begin questioning our interventionist foreign policy. They don't want Americans to see that our government's meddling in the affairs of other countries, whether by color revolution, sanctions, or bombs, has real and deadly consequences to those on the receiving end of our foreign policy, end quote. Not surprisingly, Putin did bring up the coup d'etat in Ukraine in 2014. I mean, after all, wouldn't you be a little nervous if there was a coup in Canada or Mexico led by China or Russia? Doug Casey explained it this way. Washington's coup in Ukraine brought not only a threat to the Russian population in Ukraine, but also a direct strategic threat to Russia itself. See, following the U.S.-led coup that overthrew Ukraine's president in 2014, Crimeans voted to secede from Ukraine and align with Russia. Some 97% of citizens of the Autonomous Republic of Crimea voted to leave Ukraine for integration of the region into the Russia Federation. That same year, Ukraine and Russia separatists agreed to the 12-point Minsk agreement that called for a ceasefire in the region, but both sides violated the deal. Fast forward to February of 2015 with the Minsk II agreement created by France and Germany. That also called for a ceasefire, but Ukraine violated that one. Putin said at the time Moscow sincerely tried to implement the agreement. He now admits that the recent annexations of those areas should have occurred earlier because, quote, maybe then there wouldn't have been so many casualties among civilians and children, end quote. According to Doug Casey, Putin correctly highlighted the real reason Ukrainians continue to die on the battlefield and how peace could have been achieved diplomatically if the West wasn't so fixated on trying to eliminate its Russian rival. In a previous interview, Putin stated, quote, it wasn't us who intimidated the Crimeans with Nazi-style ethnic purges. We weren't the ones who tried to force the Donbass to obey using shellings and bombings. We were not the ones who threatened violence against those who wanted to speak their native language, end quote. Completely absent in the American media reports of the current U.S. stand with Ukraine is the role that Washington and Victoria Nuland played in the overthrow of its government in 2014. She boasted that Washington had invested $5 billion in non-governmental organizations in Ukraine and sold the bullshit line that the purpose of the NGOs was to teach democracy. And just so you know, Newland is now the Undersecretary for Political Affairs and still plays a role in the U.S.-Ukraine policy. She's basically a death merchant, if I had to describe her. 
All of these facts are conveniently ignored by all uniparty warhawks and the alphabet soup conspiracy media who claim we need to defend Ukraine in order to protect democracy, which is particularly delicious given the fact that Ukraine is far from a democracy. I mean, how can it be a democracy when they don't hold elections, which Zelensky has suspended, you know, due to the war that's already lost? How can you have a democracy when the president uses martial law to ban opposition political parties, including the largest party after his own? How can you be a democracy when dissent in the media is silenced? Oh, and don't forget, Zelensky's shutting down of orthodox churches. I mean, come on. We must protect the Ukrainian democracy. Give me a break. If you want to learn more about the exploits of Zelensky, check out episode 230, The Truth About Vladimir Zelensky. Onward with the interview recap. The coup in Ukraine was really the final straw. Anyone that pays the least bit of attention to history acknowledges that the expansion of NATO over the decades and the threats to bring Ukraine into the military alliance was the equivalent of nails scratching on a chalkboard. It had to end. Putin repeatedly told world leaders that he would not tolerate his neighbor to the West being brought into NATO. After all, his country is virtually surrounded by NATO countries already. In the Tucker interview, he said, quote, We were promised no NATO to the East, not an inch to the East, as we were told. And then what? They said, well, it's not enshrined on paper, so we'll expand. I encourage you to pull up a map of NATO countries or listen to episode 186, The Truth About Ukraine, to get a better sense of how the United States and NATO has been screwing with Russia for decades. You should see this shit on the map. Basically, Russia's entire western flank is a NATO country, with the exception of Sweden and Finland to the northwest, and Belarus and Ukraine to their west. So Russia is saying, yet, no more. It's absurd for them to react otherwise. Enough is enough. This is stupid. Jacob Hornberger summarized the whole NATO bullshit this way. We should keep in mind that the reason that NATO, which is controlled by U.S. officials, was called into existence after World War II was to protect Western Europe from a Soviet attack. Never mind that the possibility of such an attack was virtually non-existent. Let's not forget the massive death and destruction suffered by the Soviet Union at the hands of the Nazi army. The Soviets had lost more than 20 million people. Moreover, the German invasion of the Soviet Union had left the entire country in ruins. By the end of the war, Russia's industrial capacity was decimated. It's also worth noting that at the Yalta Conference, U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt agreed that the Soviets could have Eastern Europe. When the Soviets unilaterally dismantled their empire and exited Eastern Europe in 1989, the United States had an excellent opportunity to do its part to restore a peaceful and harmonious world. It should have dismantled NATO immediately. NATO's ostensible mission of protecting Western Europe from the Soviet Union was over. If NATO had been abolished, there wouldn't be a crisis in Ukraine today. It's because the Pentagon and the CIA kept NATO in existence, and even worse, began absorbing former Warsaw Pact countries, that there is a crisis in Ukraine today. Russia rightly considers the expansion of NATO as a direct military threat. The United States has been conducting regular military exercises in countries bordering Russia for more than 20 years. NATO's existence is a provocation, serving no useful purpose, should have been abolished with the collapse of the Soviet Union. Another columnist named Larry Johnson wrote, quote, 
U.S. Secretary of State James Baker's famous not-one-inch eastward assurance about NATO expansion in his meeting with Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev on February 9, 1990, was part of a cascade assurances about Soviet security given by Western leaders to Gorbachev and other Soviet officials throughout the process of German unification in 1990 and on into 1991, according to declassified U.S., Soviet, German, British, and French documents. So what we witnessed was NATO nearly doubled its membership from 16 countries when the Berlin Wall fell to 30 today. Why do they need 30 countries in a military alliance to counterbalance Russia? The alliance includes the U.S., Canada, Germany, England, Spain, Turkey, Romania, Bulgaria, Greece, Italy, Norway, Denmark. The first round of NATO's post-Cold War expansions brought Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic into the military treaty. Subsequent expansion waves added another 11 countries, including Estonia and Latvia, Montenegro, and North Macedonia. Putin disclosed something that I had never heard during Tucker's interview, and that was he asked Bill Clinton if Russia could join NATO. According to Putin, Bill was agreeable to the idea, but the next day he comes back and says, sorry, that's a no-go. That led to Putin explaining that the President of the United States does not run the country. The deep state does. The CIA does. If that is a shocking statement, consider this. Literally, as I was preparing this episode, the world was treated to yet another bombshell. This one from Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi, who broke a story about the CIA-initiated spying on the Trump campaign back in 2016. Remember the whole Russia collusion hoax that we were treated to for four straight years that resulted in two impeachments of Trump and the Mueller and Durham reports? The spying was initiated by the CIA, who employed foreign intelligence agencies to do the spying on their behalf. So again, Putin simply confirmed what informed people already knew. The intel community, the FBI and the CIA, have transcended the control of Congress. We often wonder why members of Congress do what they do, which is nothing good. It's likely because the intel community has dirt on them. I mean, you can count on less than two hands the number of members of Congress who actually do the right and moral thing on a regular basis. When you examine the voting history on some of these ridiculously detrimental bills, you will notice something. Those who oppose them tend to be younger. They are the relatively new batch of legislators there in Washington leading one to believe that either the older ones are being blackmailed by the intel community or simply bought and paid for by the defense contractors, big pharma, and the big tech lobby. These people literally throw parties in D.C. where every member of Congress is invited to come and pick up their check. Yep, that really happens. When these young legislators become effective like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates, they invariably find themselves in legal trouble being sued for some bullshit reason, or their own party tries to remove them from office. The next worthwhile topic covered in the Tucker-Putin interview was that of the demise of the U.S. dollar. Putin again explained the obvious. Sanctions on Russia only pushed them into working more with other currencies. Quote, even the United States allies are now downsizing their dollar reserves. It wasn't us who banned the use of the U.S. dollar. It was the decision of the United States to restrict our transactions in U.S. dollars. He went on to say, quote, To use the dollar as a tool of foreign policy struggle is one of the biggest strategic mistakes made by the U.S. political leadership, end quote. Let's circle back to the Ukraine-Russia war. 
What about peace negotiations? I mean, any casual observer of the war might ask, how are the peace negotiations going? To which the answer would be, there are no peace negotiations. Does anyone find that fact strange? Who is preventing or refusing to allow peace negotiations? That would be the West, primarily the United States. See, they need this war. They need a war. And since Biden killed the one in Afghanistan, the defense contractors require another one. Putin confirmed another fact that was already known to the informed among us, that he favored an early diplomatic negotiated plan regarding Ukraine, and that such a plan had been in the works, but got torpedoed by former UK Prime Minister, the disheveled Boris Johnson, presumably at the behest of the United States. Tucker said, so I just want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding what you're saying. I don't think that I am. I think you're saying you want a negotiated settlement to what's happening in Ukraine. Putin said, right, and we made it. We prepped the huge document in Istanbul that was initialed by the head of the Ukrainian delegation. He had fixed his signature to some of the provisions, not to all of it. He put his signature and then he himself said we were ready to sign it and the war would have been over long ago, 18 months ago. However, Prime Minister Johnson came, talked to us out of it, and we missed that chance. End quote. What about Russia's aggressive expansionist plans that we keep hearing about? Tucker asked Putin, quote, well, the argument is that, well, he invaded Ukraine. He has territorial aims across the continent, Latvia, expansionist behavior. Can you imagine a scenario where you would send Russian troops to Poland? Putin said, they're trying to intimidate their own population with an imaginary Russian threat. We have no interest in Poland, Latvia, or anywhere else. Why would we do that? We simply don't have any interest. It's just threat mongering. It is absolutely out of the question. Then Tucker asked, who blew up Nord Stream? Putin replied, you for sure. To which Tucker responded, I was busy that day. I did not blow up Nord Stream. Putin replied, you personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi. People always say in such cases, look for someone who is interested. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has capabilities. Who is interested and who is capable of doing it? On Germany's silence regarding Nord Stream, Putin said, quote, Today's German leadership is guided by the interests of the collective West rather than its own national interests. Check out episode 240, The Truth About the Sabotage of the Nord Stream Pipeline, if you're interested in a deep dive into that topic. On the power of America's propaganda machine, Putin said, In the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the United States because the United States controls all of the world's media. I want to end with something that was not asked nor answered during the interview with Putin. It's certainly something that was one of the impetuses of the invasion of Ukraine, that being the appearance of biolabs on the Ukrainian border with Russia and the subsequent illnesses of people on the Russian side of the border likely due to those labs. Those labs just so happened were funded in part by the United States government throughout the Obama administration, and I presume during Trump's. The catch is... Who was put in charge of the U.S.-Ukraine relationship during the Obama years? Drum roll, please. That would be Joe Biden. Follow-up question. Who had been peddling his influence for decades and made Ukraine his own piggy bank? Answer. Joe Biden. Whose son got a cushy job at a Ukrainian natural gas company with no industry experience? That would be Hunter Biden, of course. So when you start to connect the dots in Ukraine... You run into a lot of Bidens. 
we're going to cover some of that dot connecting in the next episode. I will let Ron Paul summarize this episode. Quote, in the end, the massive success of the Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin demonstrates once and for all that the American people are sick to death of their mainstream media propagandists and liars. They are looking not for government narratives, but for the truth. And that's the truth about Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, share episodes with your friends, and support the podcast by shopping at truthquestshirtfactory.com.